Making a no-budget film? It's like going to war. But you're not General MacArthur. You're more like a squad of Viet Cong guerrillas behind enemy lines, trying to complete an impossible mission using guile and your wits. It's risky, difficult, and dangerous. I can swear to it. I've been there. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast. Putting the sin back in the cinema every Monday for your listening pleasure. As you guys know, I finished the show Light as a Feather Season 2 just a few weeks ago, which is now available on Hulu, and I recommend that everyone go and binge the first eight episodes because if it does well, then I get more work. And if I get more work, I can do this podcast longer. (laughs) That's right. We have to. This podcast has a very large budget. We pay for it out of our own pocket. So that's we, right. That's right. The the state of the art equipment that we use, <laughs> the facilities, yeah, all 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 paid for based on um, the selling of Matt's fine art and sculptures and my ability to work on television shows. So and our endorsement with Arizona Ice Tea, sweet and non-sweet, just one dollar for the giant can so if you're looking for uh something sweet with a little bit of caffeine that'll refresh you on these hot summer days pour yourself a large glass of arizona iced tea available at all fine supermarkets i think that one is preferred just to drink directly from the giant can is it what about if you put like a bag over it oh so people think you're like a cool guy drinking uh, alcoholic that's not a bad idea actually uh like like hobo chic yeah, I could see a lot of people being really impressed, you know, walking, see you walking down the street drinking that, thinking you're just all lit up, and, and when in fact you're just very re- refreshed by the smooth taste right. of Arizona you're iced just, tea. You're, you're just high on Arizona, high on refreshment. What's today's show about? We're going to talk about Midsummer again. That's right. Except, except this time, uh, the spoiler ban is lifted, so we're going to give you guys a moment to hop off if you still haven't seen this movie, although I know you have because we recommended you guys see it last week. We know how much you value our opinion, but uh, this week there will be heavy spoilers. So if you don't, if you have not seen Midsummer yet, if you don't want it spoiled for you, now is the time to hop off. Last warning, and uh, done. Okay, I, right. think, I think they're gone. All right, they're it's, gone. It's just us All right, now. We can guys. talk about just, them. Just the cool right. listeners that that go and see movies while they're still in theaters. Just the, the right. good people Today. that we that we care about. Can you guys believe that those other people have not seen Midsummer yet? What fucking geeks? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say they're bad people, but like I wouldn't have them over to the house. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, if if they came to the house, I'd I wouldn't let them go in any rooms by themselves. That's what I'm saying. Well, I'll say this, Matt. People who have not seen Midsummer yet, you're why the terrorists have won. Ooh. Well, last week we after the show we kind of just started talking about how cool Midsummer was. Oh, yeah, and, right, you and I we, we talked for like thirty minutes about like oh I wish we could have talked about this part. And so that, that's kind of why we're doing it this week is uh, you know we we just had so much fun with that movie we have to go back to it. And, so and, the thing that stuck out to me right away the the opening of Midsummer sets the tone. You know, like we we talked about last week some of the um, the disconnect between Christian and Danny and. Him sort of filling the role that I think a lot of men, even men who might think that they're good men, find themselves in, which is the um, the guy who does all the right things without any of the real empathy or understanding behind having any real connection with their partner. But, um, you know, in the middle of him talking to his friends about 
about, you know, not really wanting to be with her. Her sex drive isn't really what he wants. Like, he's kind of doing that whole thing. Like, he's probably been with her long enough where he should make some sort of commitment, but he doesn't really want to. Um, she gets some pretty bad news. Yeah, yeah. It's her whole family has has died. Her uh, sister has done a sort of a murder suicide thing and uh, in in a really it's 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 not a violent way, but it's it's a ooh, it's a disturbing she's gassed she's gassed the whole family. Yeah. And so that and and that in that is a great part for showing the character of Christian because uh what he's he, he spends the whole night with her crying with his her head on his lap and you're thinking okay you know this guy's coming around and then i think the very next day he's like hey i wanted to go to that party you coming and it's like a whoa you know don't go to a party what do you so he, i mean he drags her out almost right. a day later to go hang out with his buddies cuz that's that's the priority really it's it's like you get a sense that he's that guy that knows that he has to do certain things. Like it's a boyfriend duty to be there for your girlfriend when her family dies, but he's not gonna, you know, let it get in the way of uh, his other interests. And um, well, I I think that's one of the really interesting characterizations of Christian that this movie did, which is that he. I mean, it's easy to dislike him. It is, but at the same time, it's it, it's. Um, it's easy to understand why he doesn't get it why he doesn't like in his mind, you know, her, her sister and it's in a, in a very gruesome way. Like she's, there's a slow dolly in shot of her, the sister, Danny's sister with a, with a, a you know, water, uh, water hose duct taped to her, it, into her mouth, you know? And like, you know, like just like this hose into her mouth and like the signs of vomit and like strangulation as she's sitting there, as she's killed herself. Like, and, and there's like the, the email from her sister, like, Hey, please be okay. And then, you know, you realize in these slow shots, like she's killed herself and her parents. <clears throat> and, and like, to your point, like he is there for her and he's, cr- and he's not only holding her in her lap, he's crying as well. Albeit he doesn't start crying until about, I don't know, 10 seconds into our slow pushing on them, right? Like he's kind of just got this bewildered look. Like I don't really know what to do, and then he he kind of breaks. Yeah, it's there's a um, I guess we better give a warning too. If you haven't seen Hereditary, there's going to be some spoilers as well. But I saw a lot of parallels uh, between yeah first major film, the uh, Hereditary, and uh, this one, where in the same way you have these characters that have. They they don't know how to react to these very severe situations. Where in Hereditary, you have a brother that has killed his sister in a car accident, and it's sort of this same kind of like bewilderment, stunned, not sure what to do, and just and he just sort of drives home with her corpse in the back seat and goes to sleep to let his parents find their dead daughter the next morning. And right. it's um he's he's really good at at. I think that's what it is. He's he's really good at telling these stories where it's like he's almost it's almost like he's saying you wouldn't know what to do either. Like you probably don't agree with like the way these characters are handling these situations. It looks really terrible, but at the same time, you search you're searching your mind going, you know, that's definitely not the way to handle this, but I don't know how I would handle it either. When you have a death in the family or I think like from my perspective, sometimes it's even worse when your when your partner has a death in the family. Like it's so there's there's a real human element of not knowing 
what what the right thing to do is. And the right thing to do is just to empathize. But like so often we're trained to sort of do things. And if we just do things right, then then we are right. And I think that built a lot of the complexity of the Christian character. He's he's not going to make it so black and white, like this guy did the immoral decision, you know, like because he could have told a story where, you know, Christian was just avoided the situation altogether. Or maybe he was like secretly cheating on her or something like that. But instead, it's he he keeps it in this ambiguous enough zone where you'll still care about the character. I think that's what it is. It's like, uh, yeah. Well, and when you think about the way his friends react, same thing with them. Like, it, like a lot of other movies would do. Would would like to your point? Would they'd make the boyfriend the cheater, or they would make him, um, you know, him and his friends sex craved, and there's yeah hints of that. But the reality is, is Christian has not cheated on Danny, but he's thinking about leaving, and he's there for her when she has a death in the family, but only as long as he needs to be, so long as it doesn't like interfere with his life, and um, you know he invites her to come with him on this trip uh, to Sweden, but but only because I think he feels like a sense of obligation to do so. Yeah, and he so, also he also believes she's going to say no. Right. Even like, when he tells his friends, he's like, uh, yeah, she said she's going to come, but I, I don't think she actually is. He's so disconnected from the person that he's supposed to be in love with. And I think that, you know, that dichotomy of of the way he is makes when we get to the end of this is going to make her choice so impactful and also disturbing on its own and it should it should leave you with questions uh you know what it did for me which is a really strange thing um i think that we start out with christian as like not knowing what to do and 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 just kind of going through the motions doing what he thinks is required you know and it starts to create him as this character that is kind of, he's going to get, you know, blown by the wind, you know, he's going to, he's, right. he's always going to go along with things. Um, and as the movie progresses, that personality becomes uh, where he, he really isn't in control. Uh, you know, he, he says yes to everything uh, because he feels that he needs to, um, you know, his, he doesn't really have an interest in the, uh, uh, S- Swedish commune people, but he does as far as he knows he needs a thesis. So right. he wants to do his uh, thesis on them. So then he starts saying yes to everything. And, um, and what you end up with is this guy that it's, he literally goes from, uh, you know, saying yes to everything, kind of going with the flow to completely out of control as they start drugging him so that he'll cooperate with whatever they say. And by the end, he's just this, dummy basically he can't even move he's they're just right. pot, pu- putting him in a wheelchair putting him where they need him and well, he's a flesh puppet yeah and, and and by the end of the film he's um he's he's still alive completely paralyzed and uh being burned in this giant pyre for for their gods or whatever but uh but it was really right. cool well, to like see ju- you kind of see this sort of a uh, character get broken down from like a someone that you know is is just kind of making decisions based on what he thinks he's supposed to do into something that actually has no autonomy at all and is just being used however these people need him. Well, you could make the argument that he's maybe never really had autonomy. Like he may have had the illusion 
of making decisions for himself or making the right decisions. But to your point, he's kind of a slave to quote unquote, making the right choice without actually having any investment in it. And I think to juxtaposition uh, as a juxtaposition to that is Danny who, um, you know, she's deeply empathetic and she's deeply trying to like connect um, to the point where she makes poor decisions in some ways. Like she allows him to convince her not to worry about her, her sister and her family. You know, he's saying it more out of annoyance because he's out with the boys Mm -hmm. and he really doesn't want to deal with this again. And maybe you could make the argument that like, that's a heavy load to carry, you know, but she makes the decision to sort of keep the peace to um, not not, you know, maybe call the cops or, or, or maybe intervene to which may or may not have saved her family if she'd acted sooner. Um, there's a scene. I think it's I think it's right after the party scene when it's kind of revealed that he's made these this trip to go to Sweden for like a month. And this is only like six months removed from her the death of her entire family in this gruesome manner. And they're they're kind of arguing about it because she's just trying to she's trying to keep her cool and she's trying to understand it, and he's he's sort of gaslighting her, and um, and she's like, "You're right, you're right. I'm sorry. I must have forgotten." It's like it's like it's really a heartbreaking moment. Yeah. When you see like she's she's making the, the wrong choice, but she's filled with empathy, whereas he constantly makes the quote unquote right choice. You know, he's the Facebook like. He's the bare minimum of the right choice, but he's got a complete disconnect from her in any sort of way. Yeah, and 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 I th- I think also she's um, you know, so cooperative with him, uh, accommodating like that because she's she's afraid to lose she she's lost her entire family. She doesn't seem to really have any friends outside of him. She's she seems like a real kind of you know independent person but to the point where she doesn't have a lot of people in her life and did, I, did you feel she was independent uh, yeah 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 i and, and, mm. but and i think but i think um i think she was uh and uh but i think at some point she's you know at this point in her life she's at uh looking at like if she loses christian she's got no one that she loves in her life and and so she's gonna go along with and cooperate and just you know, forgive anything he does because um, she's so afraid to be, you know, totally alone. No, I, I understand that. I guess for me, um, she very much not only didn't seem like an independent person, she looked like a lonely person. And it's, you know, her sister commits suicide and, and, and takes her family with her. Ironic that she doesn't try to take her sister with her. But um, there's there's an argument that could be made that Danny shares some of the underlying depression that maybe her sister did, albeit not to the same level. Yeah, could be, could be. You know, she definitely seems to be very introspective. She definitely seems to sort of, I mean, again, it's so hard to judge because how was she before her family killed herself? But like, just so far as we've seen, she does sort of have that underlying melancholy, which is obviously understandable. But I wonder if you know, the relationship that she's in starts from before that night. And so I wonder if there's a little bit of undercurrent of that as well. You know, the undercurrent that she's not good enough, that she's not worth more that sort of drives her to follow him and to keep the peace with him constantly. Yeah. I I don't know. It's hard to tell because you're right. This is a character that's in a, uh, 
very exceptional situation, you know. Um, d- do I know if uh, when, when they do get to Sweden and, and they uh, immediately it's time to take mushrooms, you know, and she's and obviously when when you're experiencing that much death so recently and you're not I mean, yeah, for some people taking mushrooms would be perfect, but not for a lot of people. And it's it's a risky thing when you've got that kind of load on you and you take a psychedelic drug like that, you never know what it's going to open up. And and so would she have, under normal circumstances, you could see she was reluctant to take the mushrooms, and would she have refused uh, under normal circumstances? Or is she still so afraid of, you know, losing her boyfriend and, and losing his affection um, that she just agrees to it? So So is she an independent person that's just in a vulnerable state, or is she a dependent person that you know, frequently goes about doing what Christian wants. It's, it's hard to hard, know. Certainly hard to know, but, um, I, I don't have much experience in, in the ways of psychedelic drugs, you know, um, something like a uh, cannabis, which is legal here in California. Sure. But nothing that would create any sort of like mind altering, uh, psychosis. I found the, the initial, and this is this is going to be a recurring theme throughout the movie. But I found the the very first mushroom trip that they take incredibly. How's the best way to say it? Not unnerving so much as um, it made it. It definitely shook my 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 grasp on reality, which which opens the door for, to really enjoy the movie in, in, in a really interesting way. Um, you know the trees sort of constantly all the all the the background sort of constantly waving wavering gave it a very unsteady feeling um everyone's just sort of looking like they're slightly in slow mo and the, uh, there's a sense of paranoia that the filmmakers were able to convey through that scene ah, and the, did you feel that that felt in any way sort of realistic to what a, a real experience might feel like i think that the way that uh, mushrooms can open you up like that, uh, psilocybin mushrooms can, um, it, it's it's something you want to take around people you love, and in an environment you feel comfortable in. It's um, and I think for the people that uh, you know were from that area, that's perfect. But I think there there is a uh, there are a lot of borders that come down when you introduce something like that into your system. And the way that they, they, you, you could see other groups were having this laughing together, having a great time together. And I think that was the first time we, we really see that raw portrayal of the relationship of this group of friends. These right. are, these are not a group of, you know, a group of guys that love each other and, and just, you know, really love being around each other. Each one of these guys is his own little selfish entity. And, you know, you need friends when you're in college and all that, but like you, you that's when you, I mean, the, the way that they're not interacting, they go from, you know, they go from this very, they're interacting, they're kind of telling jokes, making jabs, you know, being, behaving like college boys behave. But then the second not the second, I mean, because it takes a while to come on, but when, when they take the mushrooms, it cuts to this scene of them all just sitting under this tree, completely silent. Uh, they're not comfortable 
um, what's the one the, the 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 man starts walking by and they say who's that and oh it's a new person and the mm-hmm. guy's like I can't handle right. new people right now you know it's right. if this was a group of friends that like really loved each other that would that would open up more and you would see more well, of that but this is not well, this is like selfish you know self centered guys that just like because I mean they don't have a lot of respect for each other I mean encouraging that guy to break up with his girlfriend because it's annoying to them that's not okay. You know, that, there's well, it, it's I, we talked about sort of um, how the Christian and his group of friends sort of represents America's uh, or Western's idea of community, of, of connection, of, um, you know, to your point. Like, yeah, they all get along and they all kind of have similar interests, but they're all ultimately driven by selfish desires. That's true. Uh, and, but, yeah, and to answer your question, um, I thought the portrayal of psychedelic drugs in this film was very realistic uh it 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 it, it definitely felt um one of the most disturbing parts of the film for me in in so much so that it was just like i could never get my bearings i felt a bit seasick yeah yeah well well i will i mean i'll say like you know a lot of films where they uh they do stuff like that where they have drugs in the film uh they kind of use it in a way as like to um have a free license to just do whatever, you know, Oh my God, that guy's head's been replaced with a hamburger and God's in the sky talking to me. And it's just like, whatever, you know, whatever they kind of want to add to make it freaky or whatever. Uh, but this film didn't do any of that. It didn't give like extra powers to the drugs. It's just like the, the kind of things that the the characters were experiencing and, and seeing, um, were kind of subtle, uh, you know, as far as the camera, as far as what the audience was seeing of that, um, it, it wasn't like, uh, you know, cut to dream sequence, everything crazy, uh, you know, ridiculous hallucinations. It was, it was more of just that, uh, distortion of the environment, uh, you know, new ways of thinking. Uh, and I, I, th- I, I like how it started with, um, recreational, you know, drugs and, uh, and then it started getting into more of that ritual drug use where drugs have are very purposefully selected to have a uh, specific um, function, you know, breaking down people's inhibitions, uh, opening people up so that they're fearless. You know, I I got I got a Mm -hmm. sense that the uh, the elderly couple that commit suicide early in the film, that they were on something. Um, Probably, you know, in the end, when the the men are in the burning building, they're giving them something so that they can stay fearless and and possibly paralyze them so they don't run out. Because once you're on fire, that's a pretty serious situation. Kind of lose control. Do you think? Do you think? I mean, I I found that opening sequence of them sort of on the grassy knoll before they get into the the community to be kind of part of the ritual in a way. I mean, not not so much as it's presented later on, but but you know. By all accounts, when you take psychedelics, the biggest thing that it does is it breaks down inhibition, right? It breaks down your ego. And it feels like, and we talked about like it seems like the people in the community have probably lives outside of that community. It's not like they're Amish. It's not like they live there 24-7. Yeah. You know, it, it almost feels like before you enter in through these gates, you've got to sort of release the rest of the year's modern influence, you know, and get back to more of a primal state, an accepting state. And, you know, because there were several people like like this is like obviously a thing that they do is like before we go all the way in, let's trip for a few hours 
and then we'll go in. Oh yeah, it it also establishes Pele, the um, the the uh, Swedish guy that was kind of their friend and guide to the place. It also helps establish his place as their guide and their leader while they're right. there, because you know, yeah, getting them into that vulnerable state where he's the only anchor that they know to you know keep them um, feeling safe and feeling uh, grounded. That uh, get, it, it, it builds that level of trust that they have for him, and they're going to continue to go along with things because you got you got to remember he's the uh, you know he's the spider that's like trapped them in his web. That's I right. mean he's 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 from the beginning. Yeah, who knows how far back it goes? I mean there there could be right. a uh, system that they have where they send their young men to college and they're looking for certain types of people that will be perfect for these rituals. You you never know because it the. the uh, I, and in the end, Pele gets rewarded for the people he brought. Right. The other guy who brought st- students gets uh, sacrificed. No, but I think uh, is it doesn't he doesn't his it's actually his brother right well, his brother they and use, Pele are the ones they use the word brother a lot. Oh, good so point. I'm not good sure if they may not be blood brothers. Yeah, but the guy he calls his brother, he ends up getting sacrificed. Where Pele gets uh, you know, kind of promoted. But does he um, does he volunteer to be sacrificed? Yeah, the brother, he, or do you he think he does? Uh, but um, you know how how much autonomy do any of these people really have in this this strange commune? You know, maybe he does volunteer because he knows it's going to happen either way. Um, you know, that, I don't know, but uh, that's something that was cool about this movie. Is it? It it feels so, as you're watching it, it feels so random and just events happening and, you know, people, uh, events happening based on the motivations of characters. But then when you get to the end and you see how perfectly all the pieces fit together for their final, you know, sacrificial pyre, uh, that's when you kind of start to get this sense that, like, this was, um, this was intentional. This was necessary, right. you know, uh well i don't know it's a strange thing to just because it's you just kind of come there like those people there's no there's not a lot of backstory given you know you never the narr- it's always from this like sort of first person uh character view of uh you know just just a few main characters you, you never get like it's not a film that flashes back to the the ritual 80 years ago you know it does that's right it doesn't no, do it stays in the moment yeah it stays in the moment you you pretty much you know what the characters know now, do you think, um, you know, fast forwarding slightly, do you do you feel like the portrayal of, um, I guess they call him the, is I, I think it's a him, they call him the Oracle, the um, uh, a person who who is their soothsayer, I guess, born of inbred. Yeah. Did you feel like that was a device that worked? Because there was a little bit of controversy surrounding that in so much there were people online for whatever that's worth saying things like we stop using mentally and physically retarded people as devices of horror. Um, I don't know. I, I was, I was on the fence on how I felt about that. I don't know. It's something that he, it, it made sense, you know, cause they said that they had, they had, part of their thing was they had to keep that line of the blood completely pure. And uh, because they trusted their gods so much, they now have this um, really important history book of theirs being written by this inbred 
you know, simple kid that just kind of scribbles paint well, but, into the book. But not just uh, <laughs> not just sort of simple, but like physic has a physical sort of mutation. Oh yeah, there's definitely some uh, some some inbred uh, like he's his features are very huge and strange and uh, mutated. You know, he's he's got like giant lips and uh, an eye. His skull's kind of practically closed out one of his eyes i mean he's, he's strange looking and is it was that prosthetics was that a real person that looked like that uh my assumption would be prosthetics yeah yeah um great excellent job of it though well because you, uh, now, so in, it, in hereditary ariaster also mm-hmm. used a differently abled person um what's her name uh millie something uh but but she um mm-hmm. she plays the uh the, the daughter of the family and um you know i i don't know is it is it exploiting to kind of, cause you know, her, her face has, it shows, you know, some, uh, s- some, um, different, you know, it looks different than a, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting line because it's absolutely exploitive a hundred percent, but like, but everything in, in, in horror films are exploitive, right? Like, uh, I mean, the deaths of, of your family, that's exploitive. Right. Like, but it, well, massively, well, like, you know, but we're with your points about, you know, is using uh, the differently abled in horror as like a thing like that is, you know, is that something he does well or is it something that he's um, exploiting, you know? I will say the the one criticism I had of Midsummer was that that the, is that the inclusion of, of, of sort of like an inbred oracle didn't really pay much to me other than a sight gag. Like it's the one thing out of uh, out of an o- otherwise super layered film that I felt like was just kind of there to unnerve you, but nothing much more beyond that. It's kind of a plot point, I guess, but you could have you could have taken that character out entirely, and the movie doesn't change at all. See, I don't, I, I didn't see it that way. I I saw it as a uh, kind of an early on omen, you know, that uh, it's like when when you see the uh, elderly couple commit suicide you know it's it's that's when you realize there's a seriousness here like this is um a lot of gravity going on literally huh? literal, <laughs> to, to, literal <laughs> gravity <laughs> yeah but there's a lot of lot, a lot going on like we're not exactly safe but then when you see probably the most inbred looking character you've ever seen in a quality film uh and you realize that this is something that's been you know that these people have been inbreeding this one person you know for generations generations that that I, that to me was even more of a warning than the the the, the two people committing suicide well so i wonder i wonder because we we when we got off the air yesterday or last week we talked a little bit about this so i wonder if a lot of the the ritual murders and um the ritual suicides these are all based in true nordic tradition um I was I was curious because this movie doesn't feel lazy. It feels so well thought out and the inclusion of the oracle seems seemed to stand out a little bit. I mean maybe you're right. Maybe it's sort of like it's it's an early warning sign that something's not quite right. But is this part of uh, an ancient tradition that they were drawing from? Like was, was this something that that people in Sweden and Nordic people and Vikings did they, they really keep one bloodline pure for soothsaying abilities uh well i doubt that but inbreeding is a uh 
very old tradition, uh, especially with um, nobility. And uh, that is, um, I think, it very well could be that this was, you know, this kind of showing these, because these weren't a noble people. They weren't uh, like no, noble as in like socially speaking. They they right. weren't kings. They weren't, they weren't the descendants of, uh, you know, some wealthy kingdom. They were uh, kind of kind of a weird isolated community that's probably been well hidden, keeping themselves well hidden and throughout the, you know, the history of the region. And uh, so I would probably say descendants of some of, of tribe people. Tri- yeah. So, so they inbreeding to them, it could have been sort of a uh, emulation of what the, uh, the noble and the, the Kings and Queens, you know, the high society does. Because they're, I mean, they do, man. I, uh, royal families have so much inbreeding in them. Uh, even a lot of our, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to get too deep into this, but I speculate when I see a lot of American wealth, you know, like old families that have been in politics for a long time and, and, and every single person that just has this big forehead or, you know, weird little eyes. You have to wonder because, you know, a lot, yeah. a lot of our, a lot, yeah, even in America, even in our kind of sort of weird American aristocracy. We have families that have come from old money and have, you know, always been in the aristocracy. And you have to wonder how much of their history was based around keeping those bloodlines that, you know, pure. And, and, and so uh, to see a sort of tribal version of that where they've taken it way too far. And, um, but it's still based on that same idea that there's some kind of divine blood. If you go back far enough so uh, I, I don't know. Uh, was it a real thing or was it just based on what so many arist- aristocratic families have been doing for, for centuries? Uh, I'm not sure. It's very likely. I, th- I think one of the things that the we, – and again, we talked a little bit about this in vaguer terms last week. But one of the things that the film did really great was draw parallels between what would, what would naturally appear as sort of a backwards um, ancient community and, and parallel that against modern lifestyles. And, and position it in such a way that you're asking the question, like, are they really any more backwards than us? I mean, there's obviously some things that they do that would readily seem like so strange and cruel and barbaric to us. But then again, like we talked about the idea of community, like uh, like this group, this commune, this commune of people, are, are, are they really stranger than a group of quote-unquote friends who are so disconnected from each other on any deeper level? Uh, yes, they are because of um, all, <laughs> all, of, all of the stuff you saw in the film. I would say that's the big Well, okay, thing. but like, so let's get into that because you, you were really fascinated, and I didn't know this, um, by some of the ritual deaths that occur are sort of really rooted in history. Oh, um, oh you're talking about the executions? Like yes, the uh, yes. the blood eagle, I think is what you're referring right. to. Yeah, yeah, specifically. Yeah, there's a part where uh, Christian runs into this uh, little barn, and in the, in the barn he finds one of his friends, and he's um he's suspended in the air, and he's been cut open from the back, and his lungs have been pulled out, and sort of stretched, and uh, kind of pinned by wires to the barn walls. And so he's sort of like wings. And, um, yeah, you didn't know that that was a real Northern European execution, man. Vikings would, uh, it was a tribute to Odin called the blood Eagle in which they would, you know, yeah, suspend a man and then cut him up the back and pull his lungs out. 
and it's a humiliating way to die because you can still breathe and um you uh you you don't bleed to death as fast as you would think so you kind of hang there screaming mm. and uh meanwhile the vikings are looking on you know knowing that odin's very happy with what they've done and uh that's that's the wild thing there's there's a lot of uh, ways to execute people in in those um northern territories that were like tributes to their gods that uh and and there's also uh something that um the film uh i think expressed really well uh where it was if they weren't kind of outsiders uh something about that i'm talking the vikings the the ancestors of these people were never kind of outsiders if you weren't one of them you weren't you basically weren't even human like let's say uh you know, a wanderer came upon a, a Viking tribe. Uh, that's a gift from the gods. You can hang him, a tribute to Odin. You can do the blood eagle. Uh, you can, you know, disembowel him and cut his head off. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do to his body as tribute to the gods. And then all of his goods that he has with him are gifts that the gods sent you. The person isn't even considered. It's just a gift from right. the gods sent this way. Uh, and so much like, much like lots of cultures treat animals. Yes. Yes. It's just something to sacrifice to appease your God. Uh, if you don't sacrifice it, uh, him or her, it's an insult to the God because he sent them that, you know, Odin sent you this person to do that to. Right. So in the same way, once they started, you know, getting better at sea travel and raiding monasteries and stuff, you know, a monastery is another, that would be another example of a gift from the gods because it's like, it's a barely protected uh, structure full of men who are not warriors with wealth, you know, riches. I mean, you know, golden crosses, you know, chalices, all, all kinds of goods right. that the Vikings could use. So a monastery close to the a shore would be, you know, once they find it, they would consider that a gift from the gods and they would just go in and take everything they want and kill and tributes to their gods and all that. So in the same way... Uh, you know, these people uh, in midsummer treat the uh, guests that are brought by their um, by the young men as, uh, you know, just just spirits to be sent to the gods, just sacrifices. I, I agree with that. I think also, though, they again, without being heavy handed, they do position the outsiders as being disrespectful. The ones that get sacrificed have shown some disrespect to this culture that has welcomed them in, even if in if the the community is te- is treating them a little subhuman on some level like if you look at all the people who deaths like they they reject mock uh exploit exploit yeah like they're not the outsiders aren't necessarily kind to the community that which which has taken them in as well yeah in one way yes uh some of but some of the uh what you're talking about the uh disrespect is very natural reactions. Uh, the British couple, for example, I mean, they just yell and swear a lot out of shock when they see the suicide and then they try to escape. I mean, that's all they're really guilty of. Well, they caught him. They, they, they insulted it, though. I mean, yes. I mean, good. You're right. It's a totally natural reaction to someone who grew up in a Western culture. I think even a moral um, reaction. You know, I mean, they, they. I think the British couple, as far as, you know, the modern zeitgeist, like they, they do the right thing. They chastise right. the people for in, for encouraging suicide. Uh, they try to leave. I think that those two. So I, I don't know if you're right that there's 
that the director's trying to establish any any kind of like these people deserve what they get sort of ethos. It's uh, I don't no, think that's the case. No, but no, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's that simple. And that's what that's the what I love about the film so much is it's not that simple. But I do think that it raises the question, like it's sure what their actions were the quote unquote the right thing from their perspective. But I think that this common theme of is the right thing enough or is the right thing a universal right thing keeps getting repeated through various characters. So, you know, um, we, our friend of the show, Jude Walco, he shot a film. He was in India for two years doing a film. And in India, they will just, uh, they, they, and in Thailand where he lives, they view death very differently than we do in America. And it's not uncommon in India to see bodies just floating down rivers, you know, Uh um, in America, that would seem horrific, but to that culture, it's just the way they celebrate life and death. You know, so imagine if an American saw a body just sort of dumped into a river, floating down it, and like splashed into it, and started cursing the locals and tried to grab the body out to go bury it. Like, imagine the reaction mm. that that the local community would have to that. That is a good point, but I still think that there is a difference between. Um you know, desecrating a corpse in the eyes of a community and chastising a community for encouraging suicide. Yes, of course. I, I'm not saying that, that he deserved to get the blood eagle for that, but just putting into perspective that it doesn't inherently feel like the filmmaker is passing judgment on it. It is just their way. It's the way that they've done it for, for, you know, hundreds of years. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's, um, that doesn't, I mean, I know you're not saying that makes it okay, but like, it's, it doesn't make yeah. it okay. But I just want to, I, I think that it's important to point these cultural differences out because, you know, the things that we accept as normal in a Western culture might seem barbaric to other cultures. I'll give you an example. Um, the dog festival that happens in, in Asia where they kill all those dogs, you know, and it's really, it's a hor- it's a very horrific thing. And, you know, they people, celebrities in America are always trying to like get people to stop in China, you know? Yeah. Um, in Asia, dogs are in many ways are seen as vermin. Right. You yeah. Know? And I'm not as a as a person who is a, a massive animal lover and I don't ingest animal stuff like I'm not for it. I'm not excusing it. But then at the same time, as Westerners, what is the the crux and core of, of most nutrition? Right. Which is slaughtered animals. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But but we just but but those animals are not are are okay to eat, and these animals, which are much more cuddly, are not. And to some other cultures, maybe in Indian cultures, where like they don't eat cows, but the way we eat food, or or even think about like Native Americans, like the way that we create our food might seem horrifically barbaric. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, you're you're right. Uh, those same people that are saying stop the dog festival, you know, it's and I'm not I'm not saying it condoning it but like the dogs there uh there are certain places in the world where dogs um are a huge hassle they run free and they attack people and they they get in packs you know right there in the city and uh right it's not like raccoons going through your garbage it's like really dangerous and um yeah in the same way that we hire you know exterminators to come and kill rats and stuff it's 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 that but the rats are as big as dogs and can bite and hurt you a lot worse and you know uh so yeah it's something that uh this and then at the same time 
an American slaughterhouse is full of terrified animals that are uh, going right. to be um, watch, you know, all their families get killed. And uh, so, yeah, there's there's really that's the truth is that it really doesn't matter what culture you, you're coming from or, or what you think you know, your level of modernity and uh, civilization is that there's so much brutality in all of our cultures that, uh, y- yeah, y- it's hard to just place the judgment. But I, I think in when it comes to br- brutality towards humans, I think that is a uh, something that is a little, uh, the um, right and wrong is a little more shared among cultures. Yeah, to some degree, but even then, like not to get on too much of a political slant, like, Foreign policy for most Western countries, not just America, is filled with brutality. Yeah. Drone strikes and wars. and I mean, this country dropped a bomb that killed how many? Two bombs that killed how many people in Japan in mass? Yeah, hundreds of thousands, right? yeah. So, so from a Western perspective, we're looking at this culture in Sweden and saying these nine deaths are barbaric. They're horrible. They're just disgusting. But from their perspective... It serves a larger purpose. Yeah, and yeah. are we really in any position to start talking about the brutality of humans in, in the culture that we live in? Well, that's okay. From their perspective, it serves larger purpose. But their perspective is one of some, what, some ancient religion? I mean, sure. You, but I, what's, I what's you, our perspective? Oil prices? Well, that's sure. That's That's not great. I'm not defending that either. But I'm thinking... You and I especially would see uh, religious motivation to hurt people as wrong 100% of the time. Agreed. Yeah. And uh, so really the nine deaths were pointless. No matter what the perspective of the community, those nine deaths were absolutely pointless. From from the person, yes. I mean, uh, neither neither you and I would consider each other... Um, particularly religious in the traditional sense, and you're right. Maybe, maybe in it, there's no practical, physical um, benefit from the nine deaths. But in their, I'm sure in their mind, it comes down to an offering to Odin, and, and I'm sure in their mind, it bring it's going to bring them. A, what is it? Nine every eighty years they do this. I think it was every ninety years. Yeah, ninety years. Yeah, every ninety more years of posterity, maybe. Prosperity you know, mean, meaning what? The grocery store is not going to run out of food. I mean, this is maybe a strength, a stronger communal bond. Uh, I'm maybe, sure there's uh, that, but plentiful uh, mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms. You know, a softball team all, could bring them a stronger communal bond. Uh, all, all the white garb they could, they could possibly <laughs> ever want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no they, bears. These are these are these people are wrong, and they're hanging on desperately to ancient traditions to feel comfortable and to feel that they have uh, some kind of control over those uncontrollable elements. It's, you know, it's like that old, that old prayer that so many cultures have. And it's that give me the wisdom to realize the things I can't control. And uh, they don't have that. They, they believe they can control these things that are completely outside of them. And that's what this is always about. It's what it's always been about. And so these kind of harvest rituals, you know, stuff like that, uh, at, that's why that's why this folk horror genre is so terrifying because it's like when you're dealing with people that are on operating on that level where they're they actually believe they still need to do some kind of harvest ritual, you know they're serious. 
Well, yes, but I wonder if these films exist to show a mirror to ourselves. Like, you know, let's be honest, a lot of America still believes in some pretty archaic beliefs. And Would you maybe like to expand on that and off- well, sure. offend some people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would love offending people. Male circumcision is right at the top of my list. I mean, think about that. In America, in 2019, we take infants and we chop part of their skin off their penis, most of which get infected, lots, lots of which get infection. Um, in certain cultures, infants have been known to get herpes because uh, the person doing the ritual like puts their mouth on the open wound. Yeah, I've heard uh, of that. I mean, this is it's a horrific, horrific, horrific practice. I mean, think about this. Like, you would ask most people, you would ask a lot of people about whether or not it is humane to clip the ears of a Doberman pincher uh-huh. or like cut the, the tail off of a dog, right? I think they're starting to come around to a, to a time where most people think that that's pretty like uncouth. Well, and yet we still mutilate young men by the hundreds and thousands every day. Well, babies, not young men, but, um, well, they will be young men with no, and they had yeah, no choice. That's true. They, this they, is not consensual. That's, that's true. And, um, I think that if we, Watch films like this, especially the folk genre in general, the folk, the folk horror genre in general. Maybe it, it will open up our eyes that there are still a lot of barbaric things that we do in this culture that we're perfectly fine with. I mean, mm, okay, certainly, like if we're talking about cosmetic surgery, we could include all cosmetic surgery. We can include isolation of young men and women from one another. We can talk about what happens in the Catholic Church to to young people. Um, sex trade is still a huge problem in uh, a lot of parts of the world, but also America. I mean, like there's, there's a list of things that we could go on with that. We look at these movies and we say they killed nine people in 90 years. How barbaric. But I think that what we really should do is take the opportunity to examine some of our customs and ask ourselves, are we really less barbaric than these people? Well, you know, I, I, I was thinking about that. Like, Midsummer is this, uh, you know, the story told about ancient traditions in this northern European area, you know, from the strange, isolated community. And it's it's sort of like the uh, the old, you know, the, the the brutality of the old society still echoing today. And I was thinking, what if there was like an American midsummer, you know, not, not in real life, but like, what if someone made that film, you know, cause we, yeah. we have a much more recent brutality than what this, you know, Swedes have, I mean, slavery, 400 years of slavery in this country. And we also have isolated communities. We have ancient and a lot of our, um, early settlers were the people from these regions uh, that, that, you know, and so absolutely, I, I, I could totally see like an American style midsummer style film set in like Arkansas deep in the forest, you know, where some kind of strange uh, corrupted version of Christianity has been, you know, in this isolated community uh, that, you know, that no one's aware of, you know, because those Arkansas forests are huge and, and dense and, and uh, somewhere out there, there's just these people that, you know, have been continuing some kind of white people that have been continuing some kind of horrible messed up thing for hundreds of years. Well, I think, I think the question remains as you watch these folk horror films, do you know, I think we have to ask the question, like, 
have are we really as evolved as we think that we are see that's why i'm i'm keep going on with arkansas i think that uh certain parts of america yes certain parts of america no uh and i'm not saying all of arkansas but i you know i've always wanted to do a, a story maybe like a comic book something like that um like think of like a x-men you know how uh, the x-men have powers and, and what do their powers come from yeah uh, mutation. mutation. And what's another thing that causes mutation? Nuclear bombs. Or what's what's a much cheaper way to have mutations in your uh, in your next generation? Inbreeding. Inbreeding. And so maybe somewhere out in those deep forests of uh, you know one of our more forested states uh, where there's maybe a little less uh, regulation. Uh, you know, once you get out there in the rural regions like Arkansas, we could have a sort of mutant powers x-men type story but it's a it's a forest version of that and uh all their mutations come through uh inbreeding and so it maybe it could even be like a kind of a middle earth fantasy sort of tale set in the forest of arkansas where people have magic powers from their inbred mutations uh i, I don't know I, i've always wanted to kind of do a tale like that you know sort of a, a modern fantasy set in the 80s of, of arkansas so are you saying that Arkansas is filled with oracles? <laughs> Possibly, man. Yeah, so exactly. Um, just like uh, in Midsummer, the the inbreeding led to that guy having some kind of, you know, godlike insight that he could scribble into the books and the for the uh, elders to interpret. Uh, I I don't know. I think that'd be just like a cool setting for like a quest type fantasy story, though. Just right there, right here in America, you know, inbred weird hillbilly mutants with magic powers and ancient rituals well, i'll tell you what um we if you guys would like to see matt's comic book series on mutant oracles from arkansas uh maybe we'll open up a patreon page and if you donate then um <laughs> we'll send you a signed can of arizona iced tea <laughs> and a paper bag so you could and a paperback so you of can look oracles from arkansas oh, not a paperback of the book yes but also a a nice brown oh, a paper, paper sack so you can put your Arizona iced tea in there and look cool in front of the girls while you drink in public. Well, that's what we would sign. That's a good, that's a you know, not, pretty good deal. So not only can you be hobo chic, but you'll, you'll be able to show off to the ladies or the men that uh, you have your brown, your brown sack has been signed by uh, the Grindhouse. <laughs> um, how did you feel about the ending and the end decision that Danny makes? I was fine with it. Uh, I think it was um, not, I mean, I'm not saying it was justified, you know, but uh, uh, as far as the story is told, uh, that was, that was a great ending to see her. Yeah. Just, I mean, I think you know, give into it all and become part yeah, of it. Throughout the film, you, you have all the linen tra- tapestry that sort of tells a story of their ritual. And, you know, it ends with Christian, like you said, uh, he's been he's been forced to have um, he's been drugged and he's been coerced. Let's let's say forced. He's been coerced into having sex with this um, this lady there in the commune and, and to impregnate her. And and, you know, Danny catches him and she's got this really horrific moment yes. with the other women in the in the commune. Because she's seen him in a room with a bunch of naked middle aged and elderly women sort of singing and uh just having the creepiest sex scene. <laughs> it was just bizarre. Yeah. For like a, yeah. As far as consensual sex scenes go in films, that was one of the creepiest ones I've ever witnessed. 
Well, it felt there was nothing. Um, I don't want to say there was nothing stylized because the whole film is stylized, but it was. It didn't feel like it was Hollywoodized. It didn't feel romantic. It didn't feel. It just felt so raw. I mean, you know, there's no. He's not. She, you know, at one point, one of the ladies is like pushing his buttocks into the the lady he's having sex <laughs> yeah, with, so that right. he can't escape. Uh, you know, climaxing inside of her and impregnating her. Yeah. Um, when he when he uh, realizes that when he's done, and he sort of pulls out and, and sort of staggers away, like the actor insisted on being full frontal nude, and he's got blood on his penis, and it's just there's nothing. The, all the sexiness has been removed completely, and it's and it's an entirely a utilitarian view of pregnancy. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. For for a scene with like impregnating, impregnating with like twenty nude women in it, it is not exciting in that way at all. <laughs> like, no, it's bizarre. No, creepy. Um, also, if uh, if you, if you like scenes with a bunch of older nude people, uh, Ari Aster s- seems to because Hereditary also had. Uh, a lot of naked old people in it. Well, I, I think what he leans heavily on is images that traditionally we find disturbing, you know, and um, in an American culture that is so fixated on youthful beauty between the ages of like 18 to 25 mm-hmm. to see women in particular women, but not, but not strictly, but particularly women who are, um, you know, products of the aging of time. Again, with no, there's no shame associated with it, or it's not, it's not like, it, he doesn't even play it as scary per se. It just is. It just is this ritual, and they just are there along with it. These sort of elder ladies, um, who are there to oversee this this impregnate impregnancy. Yeah, because the they're not even like ugly women. I mean, they're they're beautiful women just of a certain age, but like the behavior of them and the setting, right. It takes you out of that. There's no, I mean, like, there's just no way to appreciate it on that in that way. Because even the, the the woman he has sex with is is very young and beautiful. But there's there's just no possible way to appreciate any of that sort of uh, titillating nudity. You know, it's like uh, this is this is disturbing. Like I I right. cannot imagine myself being aroused at all if I were in this room. This is not a right. place I want to so- be. And so, like, as a byproduct of that action, that decision that he makes, albeit under the influence of drugs, um, and, and and subsequently with Danny winning the uh, what is it, the Maypole contest? She's like the she's like yeah, the she queen. becomes the May Queen. That's right, the May Queen. Yeah, she has a decision to make for the final uh, sacrificial body, and uh, they've stuffed they've since paralyzed Christian and stuffed him in a bear outfit, mm-hmm. and. Um, and the decision is hers. It's either him or just another person from the tribe. And, um, you know, it's, it's crazy because, again, specializing in just making things disturbing, like there's a parallel between Christian who is shoved in a bear outfit with just a, a hole cut out where the, the chest would be for his face to pop out. No, I, I, it's not and, a bear outfit, though, is it? It's it's a bear. Oh well, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it was a bear that was, yeah. that was, um, like it, it was uh, a bear like four, four hours the... ago, and now it's a suit <laughs> that he can wear. Now it's a bear suit. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, like, uh, it, it, as a parallel, Danny is also in a suit of sorts, but she's covered in flowers from head to toe with just her head 
popping yeah, out. Yeah, she's like this giant flower caterpillar thing. It's, it's uh, yeah, it, boy, it's something. And, and that's what I, I think is so uh, great about this film is it is a very disturbing horror film. It is, though, it's, I don't think there's any real, like, supernatural elements. It, it, it's, it's, so, you know, I don't know if it, it's, it's a, uh, it's what, what do you call that? It's 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 not a supernatural horror film, but it's it's a horror film for sure. But it all takes place right. in the daylight. Uh, anytime you see any gore or horrible things, there's also like tons of flowers and green grass and blue well, skies that's, that's around. Kind of, yeah, that was the point I was trying to make last week, in in which the horror has sort of an exquisite beauty associated with it, almost like an art exhibit, if you can imagine that you know like a, a gruesome art exhibit uh, I, I liken it more to taxidermy it's like um yeah it's like a weird eccentric taxidermy but instead of done with animals it's done with people and um because uh god the in the end when they're they're burning all the bodies they're they're hardly even bodies anymore they're they're stuffed right. uh you know they're stuffed skins that are you know as light as a, a pillow and they're just sort of placing them around um, in this weird little yellow barn. Uh, yeah, it's a strange, strange thing. It's it, it not so much of that uh, visceral, violent, disgusting gore is is removed, um, and that's what that's what I like about Ari Aster, especially after seeing Hereditary. I realize that that's just something he does. He do, he doesn't put it. He doesn't leave it all out. You do see violence, but the most disturbing scenes are um, off the camera and right. And you, the disturbance comes from the reaction of other characters and you just sort of the end result. Yes. And the end result. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's so a child think... that's beheaded in hereditary and um, you don't see any of that, but you do see her mother's reaction upon witnessing the body. You don't see the body. But you do see the mother's reaction. Right. And then, you know, after all of that, you see this head on the road covered in ants. <laughs> and it's just like, That's, and you yeah. barely recognize, you can barely recognize it at this point. But it's like, yeah, he left out so much of what, you know, the blood splattering, all that stuff is just completely left out. We, we don't necessarily need it if you can craft suspense, I think. Yeah, he's good. He's a talented guy. No. Now, now, Danny's decision is more than just choosing Christian to be part of the ritual and to essentially kill him. And, and I'm sure a lot of people will view it as, um, you know, him getting his comeuppance for being sort of a, an absentee boyfriend. But really, her decision is not to kill Christian. I, I, I don't even know that it's driven by any sort of uh, maybe, 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 maybe it's driven by some resentment towards him. But it seems to me, or at least it seemed to me, to be more driven by her acceptance of this community and, and this embracement of this community. You, you asked me last week what was the value that was worth giving up in order to be part of a community. And Danny has that decision. I mean, she could have chosen the other person. And they might have let them go. I mean, there's nothing to say that they would have killed them. Right? I don't um, know. She chooses. She you, you, can, you can make the assumption that she chooses to stay and to be part of this and that, and that this gives her a sense of fulfillment that she wasn't getting from her previous life. So what would have happened to Christian if uh, she didn't choose him? Cause she had three choices 
and she goes with Christian. Would he have gone on to write his thesis and uh, gotten a good grade? Would he? Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> I don't know. What, I mean, what could have happened to him? That's that's the thing. It's like, could could he have uh, gone back to his old life? Is there any possibility of that? I mean, he is definitely a witness to all kinds of incrimination. I, I'm not sure that he uh, really had any way out alive at this point. It's so hard to say. It's so hard to say. But... Um, it's the decision that the movie leaves the audience with to sort of decide like, did she make the right choice? I think it's easy to say yes. When you think about the fact that Christian was kind of a douchebag, but I also think you have to ask yourself, she didn't just choose to kill him because he was a jerk. She basically has embraced this entire culture that you've spent two hours being horrified by. Yeah. She, uh, she finds her place. That's the truth. She's one of them now. And so, I don't think she's made the right decision, but she's made the decision that uh, makes the most sense for the story. Well, maybe she made the decision that was right for her. Yeah, well, they all do that, but <laughs> that's well. Not... But I mean, specifically, like modern modern culture had failed her, and so she chose, albeit maybe on the surface a more brutal, but a more ancient style of living. In order to find inner happiness. Yeah. Or at least contentment. Yeah, I don't know. There's so so much death that uh, modern civilization allows us to avoid. So, the, so much of the death that's around us constantly that we just don't have to see. That's the, Well, it allows us to avoid seeing it. Yeah, oh, yeah that's what I'm saying. The, and, um, well, and, and, and in their culture, that's... Uh, they don't avoid it. And, um, right. And I guess it asks the question in the face of brutality, is it better to, to face it head on or to avert your eyes? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I, because we, we, we do avoid death in our society. That's true. We, we don't see it. We are barely aware of it. We barely believe in it. You know, pigs are just bacon, you know, hamburger, uh, cows are just hamburgers and steaks. You know, we have totally different words. We don't, we like once, once we've decided an animal is food, we have a completely different word for that animal. And, um, right. You know, we, we take so many measures to avoid it. And a very horrible thing happened recently in the news where a, um, uh, this is just terrible. And I, I feel bad even bringing it up, but this, uh, a girl was killed who was a um, considered kind of like an influencer on Instagram. Oh, yeah, I, I, I won't even say names because um, the uh, boy that killed her posted pictures of her on on the internet. Uh, I, I assume her dead the body. The body, yes, the body. Like, like immediately afterwards, like really close up, horrible pictures. And. Um, was she murdered or was it like a accident? No, death it was or? intentional. He uh, he killed her with a knife, and he posted posted the images, and Instagram had to you know have a working overtime staff trying to keep those images off of Instagram because people were sharing them, making jokes, and I could never see. I mean, I I, I could never imagine the kind of people that lived in that fucked up community of midsummer sharing pictures like that and making jokes. No, because even in their most brutal moments there's a reverence there's for a life reverence. and for death exactly. and the purpose that it serves. Whereas in our culture where 
we have no exposure to death at all, pretty much, you know, unless it's accidental or it's something like that where the, uh, the, the usual filters fail. We have a bunch of young people that have no idea how to handle it and turn it into memes and jokes when they see it. Well, so that's my point. Uh, and I think that's, that's sort of, uh, so that's my point. I think that's what I've done. That's what my big takeaway from this film was, which, which is that we look at this and we say this is such a brutal, backwards, horrific culture. But I think if we hold a mirror up to ourselves, I think we have to ask ourselves how brutal and horrific is our culture? Pretty brutal. So we've taken the show to a pretty dark place this episode, and um, we aren't we haven't been as like kind of light and fun as we usually are. But uh, uh, you know we. Ha- we hope you've enjoyed the episode and we, we hope you stuck with us and um, we hope you've yeah, seen Midsummer. And, and uh, if, if this episode was a little dark for you though, we, we did do an episode about wrestling a couple of weeks ago that that's right. Ha- Go yeah, listen to that. It one. hasn't gotten a lot of listens and, it, and we, we were really proud of it. So if you, so <laughs> if uh, you know, if you, if you've, if we've been a bit much for you this time, this morning, um, go ahead and yeah, just, just kick back a couple of weeks ago. We'll hopefully we'll get you back on our side. And and for those who did enjoy this two-parter, um, thank you. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for going to this dark existential place with us. We hope you got something out of it and that um, the next time you watch Midsummer, or, or maybe the first time or a second viewing, you get like a little bit of a deeper – you get the same kind of visceral feeling and reaction that, that Matt and I got because uh, we do think that movies like this are important and um, supporting smaller films are important and there's a lot – that it can contribute to our viewpoints on life. And that's kind of the cool part of art, right? Is that it should shape, it should not only reflect our realities, but also shape them. Word. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Blood Eagle Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify. 